Welcome to the Science of Beers podcast with me, Mick McGee. Talking science and drinking beers with researchers down at the pub. We cover a new topic each episode, so join us with a brew and let's cheers to science. This episode is going to be slightly different in that this week we are out in the field, albeit a very wet field at that. I was out helping uh, two people from the biology department of the University of Southern Denmark, PhD student Susan Gulbea and master student Mikkel Hamann Jensen. So I brought with me a handheld recorder and had a little talk with them as they were doing the work. It was a Zoom handheld recorder I had with me, so sometimes the audio might be a little bit interrupted with the sound of the wind, but you'll also get to hear the just the sounds of the field, the, us wading through the water and the, the birds in the background. So it will be a different format to the podcast this week, but I'm really curious to hear what you think about it. So do get in contact, do let us know if you would like to hear some more, you know, live action science podcasting so i'm walking in knee deep water in gulenstein strand it's a beautiful ex- expansive wetland I would say on the northern coast of the island of Foon in Denmark and with me is Mikkel Hamann Jensen and Susan Gulbea Grungor Peterson. They're both from the biology department of the University of Southern Denmark. Susan is is towing a, a rubber boat with uh, some electronic equipment in there and a couple of sediment cores. So perhaps, so the, a sediment core is a, a glass or plastic transparent cylindrical tube and you stick it into the, into the sediment here and it comes up and what I'm looking at is the bottom two thirds are all black and then the top is a little bit less black. <laughs> what do we have here, Susan? Well, it's, this is uh, the soil from station five. Uh, did we call the soil here and not sediment yet? Because this used to be farmland just six years ago. And uh, as you can see, as you, told, you said yourself, it's very black, so we have very reduced conditions. Um, yeah, that's basically a very broken down organic material that's been so gathered in the corner. Si- six years ago, yeah. it was farmland, but now it's up to our knees here yeah. in water. Can you tell me what happened? Yeah, well, uh, actually, we have to go further back because 150 years ago, this was uh, seafloor where we're going now. And then uh, Denmark uh, has been draining a lot of, a lot of land uh, to uh, produce food for the population. So this was all drained and uh, they put up dikes on the outside 
which made this into farmland and it's been farmland for 150 years. But then uh, some years ago, the OV Jensen Foundation bought the, the land and decided to flood it again. And uh, instead of uh, turning it all back to, uh, to ocean, then uh, they decided to make uh, both a coastal part, which is open to the ocean, and then this uh, freshwater lake that we're walking in now. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, okay, so, so it's... So it, it's, it's fresh water here. Yeah. Well... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's supposed to be fresh water. Um, and it was, uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's a bit uh, braggish. Um, we found some algae last year, which is supposed to be a marine species. And when we looked into it, it turns out that the lake actually has a, a salinity of uh, 2 ppm. So now we're following that to see if it decreases uh, or what it is. And it's probably because the, the salts are, are concentrating in the water when, when it, yeah, you have runoff from the fields. And, and the lake doesn't have any uh, uh, water going out or into it. So it's just, it's, uh, it's only dependent on the on the precipitation and, and the groundwater level. So it's just like a, a steady soup all the time. Well, I, I tell you what, we're walking here to the next station so you can collect your data. Yeah. Uh, we'll check in again whenever we get there and then I'll talk to you about what it is exactly you're looking for here. Okay. So we, we've stopped wading through the water now. We've stopped, the boat has stopped. There is, I would call it a, a floating bucket it's hovering on the water surface and it is connected to a computer which is connected to something called a gas met. Susan Gulba, what's going on here? <laughs> well, uh, the gas met is also a gas analyzer. Yeah. So it can actually uh, measure the gases uh, in near real time so like a five second delay of what comes out of the water so it's connected as you said to the computer which have the software that i use to to see what the results are and then it's actually pumping pumping uh, air in from the bucket uh, and out again from the bucket so there's a constant circulation so whatever comes from the water into the bucket i get a measure of okay the machine. so, so the, the theory is that on the in this sediment, yeah, uh, there's a bunch of microbes, and they're they're producing gas. They are, yeah. Well, there are there are different. There's like a mosaic of different microbes in in uh, in sediment or soil, as we call it, like this. Yeah. Um, but here in the freshwater part, the the special microbes that can produce methane are pretty close to the surface, and they uh, whenever they produce methane, which is a gas, uh, it will. Uh, slowly diffuse up to the water and also up into atmospheric air. Some of it will get oxidized and not escape to the air, but some will escape to the air. And I, w I will say on the, on the walk here, there was a few bubbles coming up as yeah, we disturbed the, like the it soil. Can, it, can, it can escape from both diffusion, but also from ebullition, which are the bubbles. So that's a bit different uh, because they kind of, uh, the, the, the gas in the soil will, uh, will sometimes uh, form these vacuoles which will be like bubbles laying in the sediment so whenever the sediment or the soil is disturbed or actually sometimes spontaneously if the pressure changes it can be released as a as a giant bubble instead of just diffusively as uh, as molecules so that's two ways of, of uh, releasing methane 
and the bubbles are kind of they actually put, they actually the biggest source of methane out here because I don't know if you can imagine that it's easier for the methane oxidizers to get to the molecules uh, compared to these big bubbles which escape rather rapidly up especially when the water is not that high but we, we I'm with this machine I only measure the diffusion of, uh, of methane but we also have some traps that measure the ebullition so we have both of these uh, kind of uh, compartments of methane release covered hopefully when we measure the methane release out here. So you can get a, a clearer review of the methane being released all yeah, over the, to, the flooded it's, area. It's really hard to uh, to do the to estimate the bubbles because as I said like the diffusion we can kind of if we cover the different station types so the different types of, of, of uh, of bottom that we have here like the hard ones and where, where the organic content we can kind of map it out to the whole lake but the ebullition is harder because it's we don't know where these uh, pockets of gas are and when they're gonna be released but we leave uh, what you call it traps out here for 24 hours and then we look at the volume and then we measure the gas back home at the lab but we, we actually we should just cover the whole lake. Yeah, with a big, with, <laughs> with a big, a big bucket, balloon or something <laughs> yeah. to to get the right measurement. Uh, but we try to, we try to. So, so methane is a is a pretty potent greenhouse gas. Yeah. Why are you measuring the amount of methane coming from from this flooded area? Yeah, well, you said the keyword, didn't you? Like it's a greenhouse gas, and what we want to know, basically. Uh, when when we form wetlands or when we recreate wetlands recreate nature and uh, there's a lot of benefits uh, like uh, higher biodiversity and nutrient uh, filtration and like the bird life have, have exploded out here at Ingsoon where we're standing but unfortunately the methane production has also gone way up because before of course there was uh, drained uh, farmland and that's really filled with oxygen and oxygen is pure poison to methane formers so there will, won't be any methane formation where there's oxygen. But right now we put fresh water on it, which means that the soil will be anoxic. Uh, so the methane formation is, is, is higher than before flooding. So the question is, like before flooding, we have this soil that will uh, emise a lot of CO2, which is also a greenhouse gas. And now we have this anoxic soil. The CO2 uh, release is very small, close to zero but the methane release is higher. So we're trying to do a cost-benefit analysis of uh, like, I mean, th did it make sense? Uh, was it like a climate advantage yeah. to flood, you know? Um, and and just, just interesting because uh, we have to find out a way to mitigate uh, our release of CO2 and methane to, to reach our goal, to become CO2 neutral and to, to stop uh, climate change. And wetlands might be one answer, but uh, we have to know, I mean, uh, they're not necessarily that great for the climate, especially if they're fresh water. Then at least we have to think about how to build them and that there should be a lot of plants here and maybe they should be deeper and, yeah. I, I, guess, I guess the plot really thickens. If the, if the question was only greenhouse gas emissions, yeah. th then it might be easy to find an answer. But I'm looking around here and I'm seeing uh, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of animals in the water, a bunch of uh, different kinds of vegetation. I'm seeing lots of birds. You know, it's, it seems like a very rich area to me. And I imagine before it was flooded, it was uh, it was farmland. So I guess it was just, I don't know, onions. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, before it was onions. <laughs> and, and way, way before, which is interesting with this, is that we're standing on, actually, we're standing on, on the marine, old marine uh, habitats. Like this was sea floor once. Then it was it was farmland, and as you know, farmland uh, does have some animals and birds belonging to them. 
but I think uh, like the biodiversity out here has gone only up on, uh, from from it was made, you know. Uh, so it's just a matter of finding the, comp the right compromise. Like, what do we want with these areas? Do we want like uh, we want to enrich our biodiversity, or do we want to uh, do we want to stop the greenhouse gas emission? And that's always doesn't always go hand in hand. Um, so that's uh, that's what we're trying to find out. And actually, there are plants out here, especially in the coastal lagoons, to try and and. Um, and plant out some eelgrass and to make some uh, stone reefs and maybe we should uh, try and put some sand out here and we also talked about the next time you make a lake like this should they try and dig out the soil because the problem with the lake here is also that it's been uh, fertilized for 150 mm. years so whenever you have a lot of uh, nutrients in the soil of course the, the um, decomposition will will be uh, bigger and, and and faster and hence the methane production will be bigger. So there's also these kind of questions that this is really a pilot project that other people are looking towards, yeah. you know, to when they're gonna make a freshwater uh, wetland or a saltwater wetland, but both do's but also don'ts, you know. The, the, there's a prediction from the IPCC yeah. that sea level will, will rise uh, between one and, and several meters over the next 50 to 100 years so so deliberate flooding is something that countries might have to do or, or yeah, it might I mean, be forced the, upon the them it's coming no matter what you know and England is actually it might more be a question of of mimicking you know we also have more extreme weather coming so we'll also have a lot of flooding that's freshwater based but the coastal lagoon is is actually a, a way to um, where the dikes were actually opened and then move further into land so we actually sacrificed like uh, some um, some uh, farmland that wasn't really uh, economically valuable anymore mm -hmm. and then we opened up to let the sea come in which is a, a, a strategy or climate strategy or a coastal um, protection strategy that you call um, managed realignment and, uh, and in that way we can we can choose where the water can actually uh, can go and take the pressure of places that we, we might want to protect so uh, so uh, the project of Gudenstein is something they're looking to do in a lot of places in Denmark and maybe also in the world uh, because we have to we have to live with the water and and Denmark like a lot of places all the big cities that we have they are all built close to water because mm. water was the way to get around so no big city or like no coastal city in Denmark will will escape the fact that they have to do some sort of protection. So some will build them walls higher, but it might also be a solution to kind of just choose where the water should go. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Denmark is is very much like their most popular their popular beer export. <laughs> it's very close to water. Yes. Uh, are are is the gas mat finished there? I think so. Let's take a look. Let's take a look. You got your reading there. Alright. Yeah, so I can do something with this. Okay, um, so there's methane. We just measured methane. We just measured methane, yeah. So there's a, a bit of diffusive um, outlook. So when I started it, uh, it was around atmospheric level, which is 1.7 ppm. And now over 5 to 10 minutes, it's gone up to 3.9 ppm. So what I'm going to do when I get back in the lab, I'm going to take this uh, increase and then I'm just going to using the chamber volume and uh, 
a flow of stuff and I can measure a flux and then I know, okay, per square meter, this much methane is coming out at this station. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And then uh, I do this uh, all year round and then we have like a year budget of uh, how much methane is escaping from Ing Sung. Sometimes I also do it at night. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, we'll get packed up here and go on to the next station. All right. So here we are at the. At, we've just stopped by a couple of different stations. Mikhail has taken the sediment cores. Susan has measured the the methane release from the different stations around around the uh, the area. Um, do we have much more to do today, Susan? Actually, no. This is the last station. Then we are done for today. Okay. Yeah. Now we get a beer. I don't think so, no, no. <laughs> Science and beers, that's for Friday. <laughs> We're going to drive home, but oh, maybe yes. we'll get some cake. Okay, well, that's, that's good. Uh, so, you've been working on this project for, for your PhD for a couple of years now. Yeah. What, what, where's, where's it going to go? What's the future of the project? Well, the future of uh, my project is uh, it's kind of short-term. It, it's ending in uh, to the summer. But uh, the future of uh, Gyllenstenstrand is looking bright because we just got a new, uh, more funding for it, 5.5 million kroners to, uh, to go for five more years. And, uh, and then we'll see. And uh, Gyllenstenstrand is just going to continue uh, being uh, this uh, pilot project where we can try out different uh, restoration methods for wetlands and see what happens when we bring back uh, nature to farmland. Because uh, it's uh, in ecology, you can't answer questions overnight. You have to wait several years. So that's it. So you're one part of this project. Are there other people working on it? Yeah, yeah. Um, there are a lot of people at the uh, Bi- Biology Institute at SGU in the ecology department that has uh, some uh, part in the Gyllenstein project. Uh, so we follow both the fauna and the flora and the nutrient release and the uh, uh, greenhouse gas emission of the area. And uh, it's also gonna be a restoration project now. So we're gonna put out stone reefs and eel grass if, it, uh, if everything goes well. Uh, and uh, Is that to try to increase the biodiversity? Yeah, and this is gonna be in the coastal lagoon first and foremost. But it's gonna be to try and increase the, um, the, bio- the biodiversity by, by the problem in the coastal lagoon is that the earth is very uh, clay and it, uh, the turbidity tup- uh, of the water is very high so uh, a lot of the mussels have problems in there because they, they use a lot of energy of sorting out the small clay particles in the water instead of getting fed enough so we need something to kind of hold down the clay so maybe we're going to try and put sand on it which is a, a method uh, called sand capping and we're gonna try and put out stone reefs so that the mussels and the weed, seaweed has something to hatch onto, which will hopefully increase the biodiversity out there. And then of course eelgrass uh, will also stabilize the sediment and uh, oxygenate the water and be a refuge for small fish. So everything is done with a view to, to better the quality uh, of the water. And that would make this area even more beautiful than, it, it, than it is. Yeah. Okay, Susan. It's been a pleasure uh, helping you in the field today. Yeah, thank you for your help. All right. Yeah. See you at, at, the science and be- at your Sands and Beers talk. You will. Yeah, definitely. I hope you enjoyed that in-field recording of the Sands and Beers podcast. For those of you who've been listening to other episodes, 
How did that compare? Would you like to hear some more in the wild science podcast recordings in the field or in the lab? Let us know. I will put a contact. I will put the contact details of this podcast in the description. I will also put some details of uh, or well links to where you can follow the work that's going on out at Gudenstein. This podcast is is run voluntarily uh, for for the the love of it. Uh, so please consider supporting the podcast. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash science and beers. Thanks for listening.